Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney, the financial pant-wearing superhero of The Haney Company. And today we have just a huge honor for me a ASAE, I can't say superstar. You've, you've, you're beyond superstardom. It's like, <laughs> I don't is know it infamy? <laughs> is it, I'm not entirely sure. So we have Garrett Turner and you and I go way back. Yeah. We do. We've yeah. got a little history, which may, we'll, we'll have to catch the audience up on. Yeah. On, before my time with ASAE. So yeah. Yeah. Which is fun. Let's get to know you yeah. in, in all the fun ways. So the most important question that we ask all of our speakers is this. Pants is kind of a big deal for the podcast. So what is your favorite pant and why? And this is a no, pretty it, significant question. It so. is. And I'll tell you. So those that know me know I'm fairly slender. Okay. Uh, so my, my answer might surprise you, but I love the seven for all mankind jeans and I have a particular pair of, uh, dress pants. I forget the brand name right now, but the reason I call out seven for all mankind and that particular pair is because they have elastic in them. And there I got to go. tell you, as much as I travel, as much as I, you, you never know what you could get into in the middle of the day. And there's nothing better than having a stretchy pant, right? Oh, because yeah. you just, you want to be comfortable, you know? And, and that is a consistent theme. A lot of people have mentioned. Oh, really? That, yeah, yeah. yeah. You okay. know, the, those, those the, the creature comforts as well as the elasticity I'm seems telling to you, be. It's, you know, it, there's something to be said about being comfortable in uh, all of the settings that we're in, right? Where yeah. whether you're in a boardroom, whether you're at a networking event, you know, baseball game, whatever it is, you you have no idea what your day might hold. So especially comfort is the most important. When especially when it gets a little bit hotter out here, like uh, it does in yeah. DC. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Or when you walk the wrong way, like I did today. So, well, oh, there's that. That's all right. <laughs> um, you made it. That's what's important. If you were a superhero, what would your superpower be? So, uh, I talk to my husband about this often, actually, and I always say I must be a superhero already. And the reason I (laughs) say that, that's clear, uh, clear and obvious. (laughs) The reason I say that is I'm like, my superpower is probably energy. You know, I think about the number of times where I've had those 4.30 a.m. start days and, you know, you've got meeting after meeting and then you still have uh, receptions in the evening or you might have a day full of travel plus, you know, home life and so on and so forth. And I was like, some days I honestly don't know how I get it all done. And I'm just crossing my fingers that I'm not waiting on the other shoe to drop. So you don't need a five hour (laughs) energy. It just you've got it like it's that internal. So that is my one nuclear power power or something. That's awesome. No, that's that's good. I, I'm probably going to have to borrow some of that at some point. Um, if that's <laughs> probably possible. at annual meeting. There you go. Yeah, that's right. So this is this is probably a good also spousal question as well. Would you rather live in outer space or underwater? So uh, I definitely would have to choose outer space, and the reason why is I can't swim. Okay. So that, yeah, that yep, would, there the whole living underwater thing probably yeah. not gonna work for me uh but outer space yeah i can do that for sure well and it seems like probably in our lifetimes some of us may actually do that so well and a little more interesting to me i mean i love like boating and that kind of thing but overall yeah i'd love to explore stuff in outer space underwater i'm kind of like eh, 
I think I've seen too many shark movies too. It's kind of, I'm just, yeah. I would agree. I, I, I would I'm, agree. I'm with you. Yeah, I, not I as think much, there's not as much intrigue there. That's true. And we've, we've kind of done that too. All right. Besides this one, of course, what would be another favorite podcast of yours? I have actually gotten more and more into podcasts. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the number one that I really like from a leadership perspective is actually Steve Forbes has one these days. Really? And he's interviewed just uh, a lot of different people on so many different topics that relate both to business and their personal lives. So, for instance, Chip and Joanna Gaines, who are on HGTV and have, yeah. uh, you know, their show. And Joanna has also started this very successful line with Target, um, mm -hmm. selling products and so forth. And anyway, I, I find that one fascinating just, you know, when thinking about stuff that's going on in my own life and whatever. But I have to tell you probably hands down and I'm waiting on them to announce their season three. But it's a podcast called Crime Town. All right. Okay. Here we go. So Crime Town is actually all about cities where the politicians have been embroiled in various scandals, right? But it starts out by chronicling the mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, and his name was Buddy, uh, which also just makes me chuckle that they ever voted for a man named Buddy, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so they start out with how Buddy was actually running to oppose all the corruption, and then they chronicle <laughs> Buddy's involvement in corruption. Yeah. But this is the part I love. Buddy goes to jail to possibly a third time. I'm, I'm forgetful right now if it was two or three. He was voted back into office every single time he came out of jail. Wow. Right? I mean, just think about uh, that whole scenario. And then the second city they do is actually Detroit. Okay. And they yeah. take it all the way back to Coleman Young. And then they talk about uh, uh, Gil, can't think of his last name right now, but he was on my favorite movie, Beverly Hills Cop. He, was, he played the uh, commissioner, and he was yeah. at, or the, the captain, I should say, and he was actually the chief of police there in Detroit, for real. And so, Gil Harris, that was his name. And then after they talk a little bit about him, they talk all about the Kwame Kilpatrick uh, scandal. Um, so anyway, they're just, it's a really interesting take on, well, you know, leaders who have not had these types of scandals, right? Yeah. And then leaders who have gone through scandals, and honestly, um, there's some pretty cool stories because they got to interview both Kwame and Buddy. Wow. So their version of the story is included in this, and when you hear some of what they they were going through before they made some of the decisions that they made, you know, it's an interesting Oh, I'm sure kind that's a fascinating yeah. framework. Yeah, I mean, and then Buddy sounds like... <laughs> Mayor for life, Mary and Mary oh a little God. bit. Yeah, a little just, bit. How can you... Yeah. Well, so that, honestly, um, Chicago and D.C. are the two cities that I'm just crossing my fingers. Oh. One of the two is season three, because I'm already be. in. I yeah. Mean, oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. All right, so let's bring it around to professional arena and give the audience a little bit of our history together, because I, I mean, yeah. you and I met... I mean, it might even be pre-YP committee, so... Also, is not a statement to make me sound old, but um, <laughs> for either of us. But yeah, so let's let's go through that and and also share. I mean, watching you just crush it through the ASAE circles has been awesome. It's been great to to walk alongside your professional journey. But take take us all the way back to kind of then and now. 
Yeah, so I was actually working for the Council for Advancement and Supportive Education, uh, so CASE, when we originally uh, you know, met and knew each other, and it was, I had attended um, a couple of ASAE events, but I had not gotten heavily involved. Honestly, my boss was pushing me to get more and more involved because he had his CAE, he valued it a lot, he really mm. always said, wouldn't it be great if at least in every department we had one person who had their CAE and understood uh, the organization as a whole rather than just their piece of the pie. Um, and he's like, what a difference some of our conversations would have, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, That's pretty or, or what a difference that would have on some of our conversations. But that all said, I mean, he, he told me I should get more involved. So when I did, I joined the Young Professionals Committee. And that was how I also got to know you better because I think we were assigned to be uh, buddies through that program. Yep. And a good opportunity to learn more about volunteering with ASAE. I knew my predecessor, actually, and ironically, never thought that I'd be working at ASAE. Hmm. Uh, happy that I am, but it just, you know, wasn't a thought. And so when he was vacating his role and moving on to other things, this position came up and I thought, boy, you know, it hits on several marks for me. And so uh, that was when I decided to, as they say, cross over. Uh, and yep. so I went from being on the Young Professionals Committee and really being a liaison for that committee to the ASAE Foundation to being the Vice President of Development for the Foundation. Yep. So that's how I... I you know, again, got involved with ASAE, learned more about being a volunteer, but then also uh, made the leap to being an employee. And then it's an amazing story, too, because that sheds a lot of light on really the value of committees in general, yeah. I mean, not necessarily just for your own professional advancement, but just what a great network to become connected to. Yep. And you just never know where things will go, where things will lead. And and the ASA community in general is such a, an open and, you know, supportive environment. So it really is. And, um, you know, I think that's probably one of the biggest things I've just learned along the way is that, you know, I think one of the, the things people often ask is, what do you wish you knew, you know, back then? Yeah. And um, because I've always been in fundraising, I've always had to be at networking events and yeah, they can sometimes be a little awkward, and sometimes it's more so because you're there for work, right? Yeah. I get the pleasure of being in both worlds. I'm there for work, but I'm there to build my own professional network because I now work for the industry that we serve, right, yeah. as an association professional. So I think that I, I've got this great marriage of opportunities with the role that I have. So You know, I, I look at it as not just a, a, you know, someone that supports the association industry professionally, but when I see how, why I'm a member of my own industry association and the value there, it's really, you know, the synergy between, you know, ASA whose members are associations and association professionals, the community is so supportive. Yeah. You know, people are there to see everybody win. There's not this kind of competitive edge or, you know, what are you doing and, and yep. how is it going to impact me? Everybody's really locking arms trying to, you know, make our collective way forward. And that's really, I think, not just, you know, unique in, you know, kind of the competitive landscape of our society, but certainly very special to ASAE. 
Well, and I, th- I think that's, um, you know, I probably should have hit that a little harder. That's exactly the, the thing. I think that this is an environment where if I had known, you know, several years ago just how powerful the networking was uh, at some of the ASA events and how the colleagues that I met would be so supportive, I probably would have paid more attention to it, you know, rather than shying away from it at times. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me and that I recommend to everybody, you know, talk to whoever you you see at uh, any one of the ASA networking events because people are very open in this industry because to your point, we're not exactly competitors, right? That's right. Um, yeah. And that's the nice part, but the, the even bigger piece of it is everybody does remember starting out in their career or they remember attending their first annual or whatever the case is. And so they know how things have been and they enjoy talking to other people and helping them figure out either their next step or uh, helping them get connected with people that can answer questions, all of that. So the power of networking in this industry is just amazing. Yeah. And that's a huge advice point and, and also one that we'll replug again when we talk specifically at some of the event opportunities coming up at yeah. annual that are really you know good for that type of a, a connection. But let's, let's go back to a little bit of the point that kind of, I think, is, is emblematic of a bigger part of the ASAE Foundation. So, and I guess maybe before we even dive into the ASAE Foundation, let's, let's talk about how it's positioned and how it's impacting the community at large. Because honestly, as, as I've been a part of the Foundation Committee for a handful of years now, it's in some respects seems like ASA's best kept secret and yet it shouldn't be right. And we've talked about this. So let's, let's just at a very high level, talk about the foundation and really it's, it's impressive, massive impact that it has on the association community at large. Yeah. So the foundation really focuses on three types of research we say. So, you know, empowering foresight, And so helping organizations really think about their future and really think about what changes are coming, whether it be politically speaking, um, economically speaking, um, maybe it's membership demographically speaking, all of those types of things, right, are the, the things that we hit on when it comes to our future focused research. Then we really look at defining best practices. So that's more that day to day operational, whether it be the types of research that we do on uh, operating ratios or compensation studies, which are also very important both to yep. you as you negotiate, but also to organizations as they think about creating new roles or benchmarking themselves against other organizations, that type of thing. And then, you know, finally, we're, we're really built around sustaining association value propositions and continuing to help associations evolve as the world around them is evolving so that they remain as relevant as possible because they are a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time, and it's in headlines everywhere, but declining trust, right? Yes. Um, And so declining trust in institutions of all types. I think a lot of people automatically assume that it's just the decline of trust in government agencies. But when you really look at it, 
everyone thinks that they can solve every problem with Google. And so, to oh, be yeah. quite honest, you know, I come trust, across that quite a bit in the financial industry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so you know, well, and you know, people probably do show up and tell you, "I found this template online, and you know, it seems like it's a pretty good one. Let me show you what I've done." And and they want to tell you even with all of your credentials. And I know you have a plethora of them, but <laughs> I know I know people show up and think, "Oh, I I've got this already. I just kind of need you to co-sign me here." And so it's, it's an interesting world that associations are operating in these days, but sustaining that value proposition is a, a key component of the type of research we do and how you can use it in your professional life. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, it goes back to how I've seen ASAE continue to really have at its foundation advancing every person and every you know, member uh, across the industry. I mean, they have the bigger industry picture at heart and supporting uh, as uniformly as possible, which is not easy to do. No. You know, you're going to have varying members of varying sizes. You're going to have different types of associations, whether it's a professional, technical, advocacy, and yet it really does circle back to how do we, you know, John Graham really puts it best. If, if you think about it, there isn't anything in the U.S., and probably this now extends internationally, that Absolutely. isn't touched by an association. So to be able to recognize the potential impact and really the actual impact that we're already having is massive. And so the foundation is, is you know, a vital role in terms of making sure that ASAE can continue to be effective. And I, I think that that's really a story, hopefully, not just specific to our time here today, but, you know, as the, as the foundation continues to, to connect with more people and garner more support, I really think that that's the story that's, that's hugely important to understand. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's funny you joke about uh, how it's kind of the best-kept secret, and, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, it is, but I think that a lot of that is changing. Yes, um, I think that there's really great energy around learning to use our research. I think that was probably the biggest hurdle for some people. Yeah, so in the past, we had lots of great books written, and we still have lots of great books that come out every year. And, you know, and thankfully, we have a faithful list of authors as well. So, uh, you know, Sherry Jacobs, we've got uh, Gary LeBranch, and these are people who have been in this industry and seen a lot of different things. So the content that they are able to put into those books is vital, again, as you said, to all of the communities that we kind of serve, whether you be coordinator or CEO, you know, yeah. anywhere in between there. However, part of why we, I think, sometimes are the, the best kept secret or why people haven't necessarily uh, connected with us as deeply has been not everybody these days goes to books to read like we kind of talked about, right? Yeah. The rejection of expertise. So we're, we're fighting that battle ourselves when you really think about it. And so one of the things that we've done, for instance, with our Foresight Works program is we've created uh, the action briefs are only four pages long, right? Yeah. So it really drills down into the, the most important facts and the it provides direction for people to do more research, which I think has probably gotten people to say, okay, I want to be involved with this type of research because it will at least put me on the right path to finding other sources 
rather than just one. And I, I think that's a big thing for a lot of people is what are all the other sources that are out there uh, and how do I learn about them? And we're helping to guide them in that, that way. So, well, and you even, it goes back to also what's a trusted source, right? Right. Because this is, you know, an offshoot of the industries association. So you have some of the best and the brightest human capital at your fingertips supporting this information. So it is coming from, in my opinion, some of the most credentialed, right. uh, you know, people possible. And, and I agree. I think it's also, as we're not just continuing to tell the foundation story, how do you take information and get it to that application point? Cause you know, we're, we're in the era where let's face it, information is just at everybody's fingertips. And then, right. so it's not the lack of information. That's the issue. It's how do I get the right kind and then know how to use it effectively? And yeah. certainly there's been a lot of, of advancement uh, in terms of the foundation's research capabilities to, to make all of this wealth of knowledge now more readily applicable. Absolutely. So that way you can turn around and say, here's my problem. Boom, I can pull this off the shelf and now I can move forward effectively. I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's been... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, will the foundation, or should it even, be your only source for information? No. But should we probably be one of, as an association professional, one of your first stops when you're researching something new? I would absolutely argue yes. Um, And it gets back to kind of what you talked about there. Uh, In addition to the fact that you can also trust our research has evidence-based you know, methodologies behind it. Yeah. And on top of that, it's going to be unbiased because we don't do sponsored research in the way of having anyone who, you know, is a a single party Mm -hmm. organization uh, or a company involved in the process the same type of way that other groups do. And so there's no slant to what we're showing you. It's really We've surveyed, you know, again, to your point, a broad swath of organizations, both professional and trade, on this topic. And here's what we know now. Yeah. And, you know, I even think about all of the information that's necessary for us as financial professionals in our practice at the Haney Company. We're trying to constantly be, you know, taking in information from a variety of experts and, you know, there's a lot of ways that experts can cut the proverbial cake. I mean, yeah. you can literally have really good data that is sound, solid, unbiased, and yet it can tell you two completely different stories at the same yep. time, Absolutely. right? And so, yeah, I mean, it, I think that's another great point of, you know, certainly the foundation's materials may not be the only thing, and, and in some cases probably even shouldn't be, right. but as a linchpin or maybe even a really helpful filter... I think that they're a huge component to how associations advance their own needs, accomplish their goals, and move that industry forward. And you're right. It's important to recognize that for associations by associations, professionals really mean something. Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, that competitive interest goes away. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's great work, and it's also it continues to be fun to be a member of the committee, yeah, um, yeah. and I appreciate all the all the opportunities I get to to support what's going on. What if somebody's now really okay? They're starting to get connected to the foundation. Let's talk about some real, you know, what are some direct engagement opportunities people might have 
to kind of come into the fold a little bit more outside of maybe finding the research online. And we should probably also hit on that as well. But, you know, what are some kind of person to person things that are going to be coming up either obviously an annual or throughout the course of a year that the community who hasn't been able to connect more can start to get involved? Yeah, so the thing about annual is there, I laugh all the time. I mean, there is no shortage of things to do. Nope. And uh, the foundation is no exception to that fact. I mean, there's a foundation event of some sort every single day, right? Yep. Um, so I think I'll be at most of them. Yes, most yes. Of them. And we're, we're happy about it. I'll be at all of them. So, yes, you will. Uh, you know, as I was thinking a lot about it, so there's a couple of opportunities. So one, we have the uh, Foundation Headshot Lounge every year. And we've had it now for probably six years, I guess. Yes, it's a wonderful opportunity to connect in a couple of different ways. So one, we have Chuck Fazio, uh, who's a well-known association photographer there, and he does headshots. We ask only for a suggested donation of $20 if you're coming in to do a headshot. But the great part is, I mean, that is part of everyone's professional journey as well, right? Sure. Um, so to be able to go in there and get that done is just a nice benefit. So I highly suggest people stop by. But two, we always have sponsors in there. And so they'll help you understand their destinations, their services, or whatever kind of offerings they have. And that's a really great benefit uh, to coming by as well. But in terms of connecting with research, getting back to that piece of it, there's uh, going to be conversations that happen this year around two different emerging topics. One will be uh, about uh, artificial intelligence and one will be about diversity and inclusion. Yep. And then the third conversation, and this is new for us, but I'm very excited about it, actually touches on what we just talked about. And that is a conversation around how to apply the research that we have to your daily life. Love it. Whether that is in your current job, whether that is maybe you're looking for a new job and you are pretty knowledgeable about most day-to-day -day things in your section of the, the organization, but you are wondering what are the other trends that maybe I don't know about? This is a great opportunity to learn what research we have that can help you be smarter uh, before you even enter the room with, you know, people who are going to be asking some tough questions. And, and, you know, even if you're not looking to change jobs right now, it's still great to think about all those other trends that are out there in your particular portion of the, the organization and, and figure out what are some things that we could be doing differently for right now uh, and, and, you know, uh, taking your department to the next level. So, and you mentioned two hugely important, I think, professional and career development needs that are met through that. Certainly, first of all, $20 headshot by Chuck Fazio, that's a steal. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. let's just be real there. there that's, yeah, that's massive practically value. Free. That, <laughs> that is massive value. But the point of not just having more tools in your proverbial tool belt, but now also knowing how to use them and deploy them. And I, I like the point that you made as well, how this is also an opportunity for somebody to pony up maybe on an area that they're not professionally Correct. comfortable in, or maybe they don't know, you know, hey, I'm, I've, I've been in the membership role forever, but I don't know enough about what the CFO does. Correct. And whether I ever see myself in that role or not, what a great opportunity 
to better understand a differing role. So minimally, you can be a better colleague, a better team player. That's huge. Um, yeah. and, and also better connect within your own organization because the more every member of an organization un- understands the other parties involved, yeah. the better they'll be advancing the mission. Yeah. So that's huge. And I think the other nice part is you just hit on something that, um, so ASAE has a program called, uh, yeah, finance for non-financial managers. Essentially, if you're someone who doesn't actually manage a portion of the budget, it helps you understand, you know, more about how budgets are created, why they're created, the way they're created and how to forecast and all of those types of things. Right. To your point, it will make you a wildly better colleague when the people who do deal with the budget day in and day out know that they're having a conversation with somebody who's on equal footing with them, number one. But number two, even if you're not looking to go to the finance department, as you grow in your career, that is the type of skill that even if you haven't had direct experience with yet, someone will want to know how you understand that portion of the business. And so again, looking to the ASAE Foundation for the research we already have and saying, what can this teach me for future is a great opportunity. So that's an excellent point. Yeah. Outside of the headshot lounge, let's mention a couple other things. We may not go into detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a golf tournament that I uh, am... <clears throat> bringing my A-game to, I think. You're showing up to. We'll start there. Well, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I will look <laughs> terrific. There we go. <laughs> and, and, and it's not a pants type of thing because of the heat, but I have some terrific shorts. So you will, you'll be able to find me on the course. Uh, it may not be near the hole, but that's okay. That's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And then the big headliner, the yes, classic. The classic. Which we can almost even have in our, in an entire session on. But let's kind of dig into a couple of those yeah, other... Yeah. So, a couple of things. So, one, the uh, golf tournament is also in, like, its eighth year, I think. Um, it's a really wonderful opportunity. I know a lot of people think, oh, I don't golf, or oh, that's not a, a sport that, you know, I, that people in my age range even, maybe it's an age thing. It could be any number of factors, but I love our golf tournament because it's co-ed. Yes. It's got a diverse range of ages. We have both industry partners and mm-hmm. association executives there. We've got people from small orgs, large orgs. I mean, you name it, it's at that golf tournament. And it's a really wonderful day uh, to spend connecting with other folks who know your business and, and think like you do in, in that regard. So I highly recommend it to people. The other thing that you hit on is, of course, the classic. Everybody who's attended an annual meeting has probably seen our marketing um, and thank goodness for that because the classic is the largest event fundraiser for the foundation each year and so we're very lucky that this year's entertainment is john legend not too shabby yeah not at all not at all Heard his name before uh and indeed and you know experience columbus is just in all aspects going above and beyond we're all looking so forward to annual meeting not that we're not every year but i will just tell you i i got the pleasure of going on the final site visit which meant i got to taste some of the the food as well right Everybody's in for a treat this time. So uh, looking forward Bring to... Bring the stretchy pants. Exactly. See, this right, is, goes back to you need 100%. elastic in your pants, you do. right? You must. So needless to say, that's going to be awesome. And we'll be at the Nationwide Arena for that. And there's going to be a really cool setup. So I highly recommend people purchase tickets. And not just because it's a fundraiser, but it'll be a great event. But the other thing that we're doing this year, in addition to those conversations in the lounge, 
We'll also have our happy hour in the lounge every day from three to five. And we're launching something new this year for young professionals called 12 for 12. $12 a month for 12 months of the year. It's to try and further build the culture of philanthropy um, within young professionals and the association space. So many young professionals already have the, the you know, philanthropy bug in their system yep. and they think about donations to local food banks, to homeless shelters and things like that and they're very passionate about it. What they don't necessarily think much about is what donations are required for sustaining things like the ASAE Foundation and how important something like the ASAE Foundation mm -hmm. is to their career, both present and future. Right. So, you know, part of why we're doing that 12 for 12 conversation and the meetups with the young professionals is to further build that culture of philanthropy, but also help them build their networks. Right. These are the future leaders of the association space. And so giving them opportunities to connect with each other is wildly important right now. So, yeah, I highly encourage everyone who's able and uh, wants to come by the foundation lounge. Again, there's going to be a lot happening pool tables, you name it. Like we're going to be in there having a good time. So oh, I look come forward by. to it every year. Yeah. And, and I, I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. Cause certainly, you know, as YPs forever, I guess is kind of our new, you know, uh, modicum once you've crossed the 35 year threshold, which <clears throat> I think I may have done, um, once or twice, but you know, it's a great point. The foundation requires donations, whether it be corporate or individual, in order to continue to do what it does. And yet it is somewhat challenged in that I think the natural framework somebody has for philanthropy is causal, right? I want to help the homeless. I want to go build houses. Or there's, so we have kind of a, a, almost a different way of seeing that. And yet coming in and saying, we really support kind of an industry doesn't necessarily land the same way. But my, my challenge is, and, and really kind of what we're talking about is that while yes, that is not directly causally focused, it kind of is in, in some respects more so because how many associations actually have, you know, a, a, a nonprofit component that might either be directly impacting something on the ground or something specific to an industry. So really, by supporting the associate industry at large, I mean, you are really forwarding potentially a lot of causes that are probably important. Well, um, and I'd like to draw one parallel using that. So when I think about our Summit Awards dinner, which we hold every year, the first Wednesday of October, right? This is when, and this year it'll be October 2nd, um, it'll be the 20th anniversary. But the reason that's important is we give out six summit awards yes. every year. And these are for programs where associations have done something either in a local community, the country, or internationally that have affected a community in such a positive way. Right. So whether it be disaster relief of some kind, because to your point about how all of these associations are connected to the best and the brightest of a particular industry, um, they have access to the people not only with a voice on Capitol Hill, not only with power um, just within the industry and not only with the financial resources, but they're able to bring 
a, a different person from each one of those groups and say, this is the problem, how can we solve it? Yep. And the Summit Award exemplifies exactly that, right? The power of associations, and so we call it the power of A. Yep. Uh, but that all said, the research that comes out of the foundation and is used for future forward thinking, sustaining the value proposition, and for best practices on a daily basis are what association professionals and executives need in order to create the space where they can affect these communities locally, you know, nationally and internationally. So uh, to your point, while one might not automatically see the direct correlation between their contribution to the foundation and their, you know, what that means for the rest of the world. When you really look at how these organizations can't do these things without great leaders and these great leaders can't, you know, make decisions that they need to without good research, that's really where the foundation, the ASAE foundation that is, fits in that, that broad spectrum. So donations do, I guess, aid in other parts of the community. No, that's it. I'm glad you brought that example up. I mean, it is, it, I look at it, I think the foundation's a real force multiplier. And hopefully that will continue to become more apparent and obvious. And I'd like to actually just highlight my, my own industry association that I'm extremely proud to be a part of, NAFA, National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors, because they were a silver award recipient this year for a program they developed for members uh, called NAFA Live. And so, Again, you mentioned associations and, and how they impact in, in community and, and their impact on society. And not necessarily, it, you know, it's not just a nonprofit that does great, exciting, and wonderful things to move causes forward to take care of communities, et cetera. You know, I think of my industry of financial professionals, an industry that has declining numbers and had that for some time, an industry that struggles to reach across a broader section of the economy, demographically, the U.S. population at large. Really, you've seen a lot of energy in our industry for, you know, many, many decades concentrated on really, you know, the 1% almost. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's not enough access to professional help for people that might be of lower means, but still need help. Yeah. And so NAFA's, you know, among many of the things that are important to it, doing a really good job to A, reinvigorate our industry, but also to help members and professionals better connect across their communities, address issues like diversity and inclusion, so that way we see an industry that absolutely needs an infusion of younger talent, male, female, different demographics coming to the table. When I get to go into rooms and you know be a member on the diversity and inclusion committee, both at NAFA as well as ASAE, and see just the kind of talent and engagement, it, it really is a great example of how associations are making a massive impact, but it, Again, you have to you have to be able to see that story playing out because it's just uniquely different. It's not save the children, right? Um, but it's no less impactful. And in some cases, it may be more impactful on certain things. I think associations have an ability that not many other types of organizations can have because, like you said, they really have connections across a variety of you know the socioeconomic landscape that just you know maybe a single company or even a single organization just doesn't have. Correct. And that's huge. So force multiplier, that's going to be a new buzzword. I'm I like to, that. No, I like to, that a lot. To plug that in. What do you see? So let's talk just real briefly about the association landscape at large. 
in either the last five years or maybe even dialing into some research in the coming five years, what do you see as either a big challenge and also maybe even a big opportunity and maybe something that's one and the same, maybe a challenge right. and an opportunity. What, what, does that, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so that's something that I, I end up talking about a lot because I go out to do presentations on our Foresight Words project. And so one of the things, just even as you were talking about your, the, the organization that you volunteer with, you know, that, that's on my mind is this increase in technology. And so yep. this, this idea of self-service. So when I think about fintech, and what yeah. it's probably doing to the CFP world and, and you know, the, the overall investment world because everyone now could have stash or capital with a Q, which still throws me off, but whatever. The, <laughs> Cabbage the, with a K? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody yeah. can have one of these apps <laughs> now and has this idea that they, uh, Coinbase, they can jump in and they can invest with $5 at a time and they don't need to pay someone a trading fee. Right. But at the same time, how much research have they been provided? How much research have they done on these investments that they're making? Right. So when I think about NAFA and what, you know, the, the opportunities are there, and this is just me, you know, spitballing as someone who's just kind of using an example. But I think about the education of the general public about why, yes, these are great opportunities, but you need to still have some level of research behind your investments. You still need to understand certain planning mechanisms and, and offerings that come with choosing one of the professionals that's a member of our organization. So, you know, when I look five years out, and, and by the way, the Foresight Works Project is really built to help organizations think 10 or even 20 years out, yeah. not just three to five, because yep. that's part of the problem. We're not adjusting fast enough, right? And great, so, great point right there. So yeah. it's really, how do you build a plan for 20 years out, but then tweak it year by year in order to make sure you're still headed in the right direction? And how do you assume what the futures will be that are out there? But anyway, I say that to say, when I, I think about an organization like NAFA, I also think, what is the opportunity around public awareness? So beyond just education of the professionals who are members, what is the, the public awareness or public education opportunity? And I think that's where a lot of organizations actually probably could, could benefit, you know, expanding their thinking to is how do we reinstill trust in the professionals that have their certification from us? And how do we reinstill the reason for certain processes that we have in the, you know, the, the way that we operate this line of business for lack of a better phrase right now and hopefully you'll edit that but the <laughs> uh the the point here is you know really how is it that you can help those that aren't going to go get that designation understand why the designation is still important um and it goes beyond marketing to the people who have chosen this as their profession and marketing to them to say you should do this because it will make you a stronger professional. It goes to marketing to those people who don't even know this is a profession so that they understand why the person who has that designation matters in their financial planning or in their you know, future, whatever kind of uh, credential it is, why that person matters and their education is important. So. I think you, you just touched on, I think, probably two huge points that are really association points that the first one that I was 
taking away from what you were talking about is just the point that technology isn't the answer. It is a tool more often yes. than it is. And I think sometimes it's easy to almost see, oh, well, you know, there's an app for that, yes. right? And, and it, we yeah. don't really even think about what it means when we say that, yeah. but a, a, a great portion of society is starting to think that way that eventually whatever the end of the question or the concern is, yeah. it, it's technology. Yeah. And while that could be the case, more often than not, technology is a part of the path to the answer. Correct. And so it's, it's hugely important for, I think, all industries and certainly the association profession to recognize that and to continue to find the, the way to have the technology conversation so that way we bring that to the table and have a more strategic conversation about integrating it and using it rightly and you know, knowing where maybe it's not going to be the answer and you know knowing that well, you need to pivot. That's, that's huge. Yeah. I think another big piece of that, you know, and again, this is just me. I want to be very clear. This is not like ASAE bullet points <laughs> here, right? This is just Absolutely. Garrett Turner. But... You know, one of the things that I often think about when it comes to technology is what are associations doing to incorporate those, well, and again, just using the, the financial sector, what are organizations doing to incorporate fintech into their education for their professionals so that their professionals are more aware of the tools that are out there and that way when a potential client comes in or something like that, they can speak to why this may or may not be the one for that client. And then the other big piece is, what are they doing to incorporate those fintech companies into their membership so that fintech companies are now having conversations with these certified professionals so that they're either building additional pieces into their platforms from an educational standpoint, or they are thinking to themselves, how do we work better with these professionals because they could be a recommended or a recommending body. They could be um, advisors. I mean, there, there's any number of ways that actually fintech could be stronger and financial you know, professionals could be stronger if the conversation's happening jointly. And I don't pretend to know whether those conversations are happening. I'm just saying as an example, when thinking about all industries, there are lots of, I mean, everyone loves the term disruption and disruptor these days, right? Yeah. And to your point, technology is being created in every single industry that could be additive and could be a tool, but in some cases it's really just this thing that may or may not be as powerful as it could be if it had the human influence of somebody who's certified and really focused in on the industry. So, yeah, yeah handing me a wrench and a lug nut doesn't make me a car uh, repair expert. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's why I keep a cell phone and a that's AAA exactly card. Like, right. I'm I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the other, I, you know, the other thing that you were talking about, and, and you gave again a great example of. I think, it, and this is something that with a lot of even the other people that have come on the, the podcast, we've talked about this massive, and, and, and I think to me, this is the most important. That's, there's, the, there's the Brian Haney uh, thing. That's maybe not the Haney company approach, but I think the most <laughs> important opportunity that exists, you said PR, and back to that issue of public trust or public perspective in general, right? Technology has come in and allowed more parties to tell stories, to tell stories more effectively, and really for narratives to be 
more appropriately disseminated across a variety of mediums now than ever before. And I think, you know, when I go back and I think about how wonderfully powerful that is, I see the opportunity as being critically important for the association community to be leading that opportunity forward. I think of, back to NAFA, how, let's just very matter-of-factly say, I feel the financial industry as a whole is one of the industries that's been much maligned, whether it's in the political arena, the social arena. I mean, you can, you know, Google any on any day of the year and find some negative article or story about, uh, you know, a bank or this or that, whatever it is. Just nobody wants to really be connected to insurance, financial companies, et cetera, at, you know, as they used to. And so that's a negative narrative that the entire industry as a whole is needing to overcome. And yet, what a great opportunity for an association to take the lead to say, hey, we recognize that that's, that's a concern. It's harder for the consuming public to connect to an industry that is necessary, vital, and has a bunch of professionals that want to help the public in ways that maybe now, because of technology, they can do a better job. Yeah. And so I think that's just that storytelling power, I think, is huge. Well, it has to go beyond to just your Twitter account, your Facebook group, and your your LinkedIn group. You know, um, I, I know that there are, for instance, I've seen ads for CFP board. Yeah, right? it, it, um, they spent a lot of money on that campaign, but it was great. I know, but I will tell you, being in this industry, it was really cool to me when I opened up several different publications that I would never have expected to see a CFP board ad in, right? Yeah. And to see it because I thought, wow, this is the type of thing that is going to educate the public on why you don't just want somebody who says, yeah, I can do your taxes. No, you want a certified, you know, and, and I know that's more a CPA thing, but point being here still, uh, you want somebody who truly has a body of knowledge and continuing education, right, which goes along with the credential because I don't know that all of the general public, if they are not someone who has a credential, I don't know that they understand the requirements around continuing education units and re-credentialing and, and all of those types of things. And so having those types of advertising campaigns to say, we are here, this is important, you know, and these are the types of professionals you should be seeking out does matter. So anyway, to your point though about PR, I think that there's a rich opportunity for a lot of different associations yeah. within their industries to educate the general public and not just focus on advocacy and on you know donations to to overall uh, uh, congressional leaders. This is also about, like I said, the general public. So yeah, yeah, great, great way to change narratives and frankly allow people to see things they may never have been able to see before. Yeah, you know, again, let's circle it all the way back to the foundation and why it's critical to have a foundation that's supporting an industry that's on the forefront of being that type of a catalyst Absolutely. for society. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. The association community can be a massive catalyst for society and to move us in the direction that we need to go three, five, and 25 years from now. Yep. So clearly everybody that is able to come and connect needs to be a part of all of what the foundation is doing at annual Absolutely. and beyond. And also, certainly, if you have not yet donated, I highly encourage you to do so because it's a great way to support 
an industry as well as all of the things that we've talked about. Well, and, and the one other thing that I would say is, you know, the foundation does events throughout the year, some of which do focus on research. So we have a luncheon series where we sit down with about 15 folks and we don't do more than 15. And the reason behind that is we want that we've noticed that the conversation is much more intimate and people actually are taking things away from each other when they, they leave. Yeah. And everybody has an opportunity to participate rather than just it being a lecture. But we do those luncheons. We also have the poor at the Great Ideas Conference. And that is a wonderful conference because we also showcase the people that we are innovation grant awards winners. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really big opportunity for us to talk about innovation and to excite a lot of the leadership of associations into thinking, what's next for the industry that I lead? How can I create something new? So that's a great conference. And then we have a, a more networking type event um, there called The Poor. And then also we do Summerfest, which, you know, we this was just our second year. But again, that's just a fun summer casual kind of event um, to get folks together. So uh, like you said, I, I highly encourage folks to get involved with the foundation in any way that makes sense for them. But well beyond just the fact that, I mean, of course, I want you to donate too, but <laughs> also because it's it's important that you connect with these other professionals and think about, you know, the problems we're solving. Yeah. Any final shout outs? At this time, no. The one thing that I would say, though, is I'm very happy that you had me on today. This has been a lot of fun. And I guess the only shout out I would give is to our development committee and the yes. people that we work with, our chair, Daniel Holland, our vice chair, Rick Burt, and all of the people on the development committee who uh, assist me day in and day out with what we do. So it's, it's a great committee to be a part of. I, yeah, I, a, I, it's a big privilege for me. We have to be a lot of it. fun. It is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. T uh, ton of fun. Ton of fun. So thank you for coming on. We Absolutely. Appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA CIPIC.